The road to success is really a straight line. It's full of twists and turns, detours, redirections, hills and valleys. So join us on the path to success as we explore people's personal journeys. Come be encouraged, informed, and empowered to reach your dreams. Hi, I'm Boris Pendergrass, and I'd like to welcome you to the Paths to Success podcast. And today I have a very special guest. It is my oldest daughter, Noelle Pendergrass. And we're going to talk about Noelle's journey from headed to law school to head of property management and facilities for Sonder NYC Hotel Group. So with that, I'd like to say, Noelle, hello and welcome. Hello. Hi, Dad. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's, let's, let's take us back to where your, your journey began. Uh, and as the intro said, your path to success is really a straight line. It's twists and turns. So I know I was the expectant and excited father with an you know, excellent college student who's headed for law school. And let's pick it up where I know you were um, preparing for the LSAT. So just talk a little bit about preparing for the LSATs, going towards law school, and then what happened. Yeah, so um, I started preparing for the LSATs my senior year of college, probably that last semester. If you were to ask everyone around me, I was late <laughs> preparing for the LSATs because you typically start, you know, your junior year so that you can start applying your senior year. But I think one thing I've always thought about with college is that, you know, there's no rush. Like I actually took a year off um, when I graduated high school before I went to college. So I never kind of had this mindset, I guess, or urge that like I was in a race to kind of finish all these steps. But for the majority of, I would say, my high school career and college career, law school, you know, was the plan. I was very on the law school track. Um, I started studying probably end of my senior year. I, I actually took that whole kind of like summer afterwards, four months to study. We paid for LSAT prep yes. courses. Um, <laughs> And I think one of, so I think one of the things that really kind of put a lot of things in perspective for me was that studying for the LSATs gave me a real idea of what law school would be like. I, in school, I had a, I was a poli science journalism major. It was very, um, very heavy kind of like reading, um, a lot like writing intensive. So they were kind of on track to get me to a place where I felt like I was going to be prepared for that type of workload. But I think in really taking four months to just study for the LSATs, it was kind of like a really eye opener to me that one, I don't know if necessarily this is something I want to do for another two or three years. And I know obviously people who kind of take on very laborious like grad school programs, whether it be law school or med school or your master's, you know, you're mentally preparing yourself for that but i never thought of practicing law as you know like my purpose or you know something that i loved i thought it was a means to having a career where i would make a lot of money um and it was kind of a surefire way to get there you know you always hear people they go to law school and within your first three to five years you're making well into the six figures so i've never been afraid of hard work and i just figured that, that would be something that i could work really hard towards but in studying for my LSATs and having friends that you know were in a law school already, I think it just became really clear to me that it was going to be a lot more difficult 
um, than I expected it. And that if it wasn't something that I really loved, that that wasn't the only way to make money. Um, so I thought, I thought also though, I guess my perception of it was you'd be in front of, you know, in, in court, right. Um, and in front of juries, I know you're, your communication skills were excellent. Uh, your debating skills were excellent. But I guess, it's, is that not what you found law would be? Um, I mean, I think, yeah. And, and kind of when you do a lot of reading then about like what law school is going to be like, you know, I was talking to friends who are already in law school and it just became really clear that most of practicing law is not in a courtroom. It's, you know, everything that you do to get to that courtroom, but it's hours and hours of research. It's hours and hours of preparing briefs, it's hours of um, depositions. Like it's a lot of it's a lot of lead up to that kind of dramatization that like TV has made. You know, being attorney B. Um, another thing is, I knew I wasn't going to be a, a I knew I was going to be a defense attorney. <laughs> so you know, you grow up watching like Law and Order and stuff like that. Right. I think like Suits and other shows like that kind of showed you the world of corporate law, but. I knew that I wanted to make money out of it. So I wasn't going to be a defense attorney. So I didn't, it just became really clear that the majority of my time was not going to be like in this courtroom fighting for causes, like, you know, winning cases. It, it, it just really became clear to me that it wasn't what I always thought it was. And it wasn't the only way to make money. That was probably the biggest factor for me when I kind of came into the realization that I could get to point B, which was, you know, making money and be able to sustain a life that I wanted, that it didn't have to come from this really arduous path of being attorney or being in medicine, like that light bulb clicked. And I was like, oh, so I don't have to do this. Like, I Right. So, so now you've come to that realization, which is great, right? Hey, you know, a direction you don't want to go in. And now you're trying to determine a direction that you will go in. So I think your, your next stop along the way is you were in the financial sector. What was that? Was that next? Was that just a job? Or were you thinking about going into finance? Share a little bit about that. You were at Wells Fargo, I believe. Yeah, so that was a job, but I fell into that job because I had worked at Wells Fargo throughout my college career. So I always held a job and went to school. Um, my junior and senior year, I was a teller at a Wells Fargo, and I would literally go to school Monday through Thursday, drive home on Thursday, work somehow 30 hours between Friday and Monday. Um, and I did that for, you know, basically two years straight. So when I realized I wasn't going to go to law school, I actually didn't know what I was going to do next. Um, but I knew that I kind of wanted to be in a position where I still got some, you know, working experience, some corporate experience. Um, and I honestly just started looking on, you know, the Wells Fargo job postings. I was like, I think this would probably be the easiest way for me to transition to, you know, a salary job. Um, that would give me some level of corporate experience so that once I made the decision of what I was going to do, it would be a lot easier, I think, for me to explain to an employer why I went completely left <laughs> from, you know, what my what I had gotten these degrees in. Um, and yeah, I just landed into, uh, it, was, it was an executive assistant slash sales associate role. I was working for a managing director at Wells Fargo Security. So right on the trading floor, it was you know, like crazy experience because I, I went from 
being in college, I always worked retail jobs as a teller that's still kind of like a very customer service type sure. job to really switching into a career that not only had a high demand because of who I was supporting, who I was working for, but also forced me to learn like really, really quickly everything that comes with working in a corporate environment on top of working in an environment that's extremely fast paced on top of, you know, working for managing directors who expected, you know, their work to not only be done correctly, but, you know, at, at, at an expected Quick turnaround level, time. Yeah. That I, that I wasn't used to. So, you know, it was a job that I landed, but it was something that really honestly gave me an eye into what a corporate environment is, what it would honestly take for me I think to reach a level of that kind of success or that kind of seniority, it obviously showed me that finance was not the world that I wanted to work in. Because sure. um, I did, I actually worked there for two and a half years and I did think about going to get my master's. I thought about, you know, maybe transitioning this into a finance role. But ultimately, I knew that wasn't for me, but I did know that I could pivot the kind of skill set of project management, which is actually what that sure. job taught me into another role. And when I made the decision about leaving Wells Fargo, I think at that point I had come to terms with, I loved real estate. I've always loved real estate. People on this call who don't know us, who won't know that, you know, like uh, my mom's grandfather who raised her built maybe 50% of the homes in Union right now. Um, yes. My mom- Owned his own for, construction business for years. Yes. Worked for Toll Brothers as a design consultant for years. So it's always something that I enjoy doing that I think I had an inclination for. I don't think it was until kind of realizing that these other paths weren't for me that I came to the realization that this is something that I could do that I think that I would be well at um, and that there was money in. I think once I started doing research about like all the different paths that you could take in the real estate world, whether that was on the brokerage side or the, or the sales side, or whether it was more on the operational side, there was a way to really make money in this world. So I actually just started randomly applying to just real estate jobs. Like I started applying to um, brokerage firms. Like I started talking to people about getting my license. I started applying to like PM jobs, which you know, that's a property manager. Um, I started applying on both sides. And honestly, the first company that gave me a chance was Dixon, which is the company that I've been, that I was at previously for six years and actually kind of just gave me my first step into the world of real estate, which I have now been in for, you know, eight, eight and a half years. That's great. So now just one thing before you moved on to your, to your, where you are today is, uh, I, you know, one of the things that I, I've, I've said around the house is that, you know, you're looking to make you know, that six figure, you're looking to make, you know, significant amount of income and they don't pay you that for just 40 hours of work. So I think what I'm hearing is that that environment at Wells Fargo on the trading floor, that gave you a sense of, of the demand uh, that you, and what it took to, I guess, generate that kind of income. Would that be accurate? Yeah, that would definitely be accurate. Um, it was an extremely fast paced environment. It was an environment that kind of celebrated not only working hard, but going above and beyond um, every single day because that was the expectancy of you. And I think it also showed me while, yes, you're working with people who are extremely smart. I'm sure anybody that works in the world of finance can tell you that it's not just about work ethic. 
it also though opened my eyes to the fact that there were people in these roles because of their work ethic. They weren't naturally inclined to finance or math or numbers. You know, there were people who held operational positions that just put in the work. Um, and that was like, I think really key for me because I had always thought of law school as something that I would just be good at, right? Like everybody, anybody who knows me can tell you like, I'm a debater, um, <laughs> I'm a communicator. Uh, I have no problem, you know, I'm research queen. Like if I want something, I'm probably gonna find it. I'm gonna find different, 10 different ways for me to get it at a 10 different price points. So law school always kind of felt like something that would just, I would be naturally inclined and it, it would be really easy for me. And in realizing that one, it wasn't going to be, but also completely switching to a different career, um, it really just forced me to work hard and to, you know, put my, put my, put, learning how to do things that I wasn't naturally inclined to do, learning how to do things well, like learning how to take on an entire new skill set, like looking at a problem and actually not knowing the answer and, and having to figure out how to do things. Like that's what the trading floor did for me. And I think it was like a really invaluable experience in changing the way I just thought about what I could do in, in any career that I chose. So now, Let's segue over to now, you know, you are head of property management and facilities at Saunders NYC, which is a, a uh, you know, a hotel group or actually a global hotel group. So just talk a little bit about what you do there and the leadership role that you're in. And I guess really your, you know, your experience in, at Dixon that brought you in to put you in a position for this leadership role you're in now. Yeah, so when I when I made the decision to kind of swoop into the real estate world, like I said, I literally, I, I just went with the first company that offered me um, a job because I kind of felt like I was starting over again. Um, and I was young enough to do that. I was I was in my twenties. I think I got hired at Dixon in two thousand third, not two thousand thirteen. I think I I think I got hired at Dixon in two thousand twelve or two thousand eleven. And just a comment, Dixon was a significant company. I mean, they yeah. were in an Australian-based real estate investment trust. They were buying up properties in a hot, growing uh, area of Jersey City, right? Where else were you guys buying properties at? Yeah, so all of Hudson County, um, all of Hudson County and three of the boroughs, so Harlem, uh, Brooklyn, Queens. And I mean, so when I, when I got a chance, at, when, when Dixon hired me, they hired me as um, an APM because I didn't have any experience. So for those who are you know, kind of not aware of what the operational side of residential management is, is an APM, you're basically an assistant to a property manager and a property manager is responsible for um, the maintenance budget overall operation of whatever that portfolio is. So I got, I got hired as an APM. I think I held the APM role for about six months. And just to piggyback off of, um, off of what Wells Fargo did for me, the, the reason why they actually hired me with no property management experience is because I had budgeting experience at Wells Fargo. Mm. So I had budgeting experience um, and I had a property, not property management experience, I had project management experience. And they were really looking for people who had those type of skill sets to bring over into their PM roles because they were taking on more responsibilities, more budgeting at the time than a typical PM would. They were also doing something that other companies were not doing. Dixon was doing everything in-house. So they were purchasing, 
renovating, leasing, and managing all in-house, which kind of just requires a lot more of your staff than a normal residential management company does. Um, so that's actually kind of having that experience at Wells Fargo is the reason that it got me at a job that honestly, I really probably didn't deserve <laughs> that I wasn't experienced for. So I worked there for about a um, year and a half in that PM role. I think what I saw early on at Dixon was I was going to have to show and prove really to sure. climb the ladder. So after about that year and a half, I became very vocal about the fact that I wanted, you know, more of a management role, that I wanted a leadership role. Um, the person that I was actually working for at that time as the director, um, she actually kind of really took me under her wing. She started giving me additional projects, which that's, a, that's a, I think, a completely separate conversation because I think for my age group, sometimes like millennials don't like taking on more work for nothing like it's always this idea of well if i'm doing more i deserve more and sometimes that's not the case sometimes doing more puts you in a position to your leadership that we can trust you with more responsibility and then sure. the reward comes after so they started giving me additional projects um hey, just one second there right there's a mindset that you do the job that you're looking for today and then it's easier for them to promote you, put you in that job when you're negotiating, you're able to say, hey, I've been doing this work at the next level, so move me into that position. And they feel confident about doing that. So at, at, at Dixon, that's what you're doing, right? You, she takes you under your wing, she's providing you these opportunities and you're taking advantage and, and, and kind of executing on that. Yep, and I spent six years in that role and over that six years, I went from an APM um, to an associate director. and. I think once I held the role of associate director, I did that for about a year and a half or two years, I think. That's when I learned that the best part of this job was actually leadership. To me, being able to influence a team, being able to support a team, being able to kind of input into people's careers um, so that they could see their own potential, you know, was the best part of the job for me. It was a really, really great experience. Um, and then after six years at Dixon, there actually was some changes across the company um, and I was let go, which was a major shock for me because I was not expecting that at all. I, in retrospect, I had known that it was probably time for me to leave. Um, right. In this field, you can get boxed in really, really quickly. And I was boxing myself in, right? Like if I'm working in a residential management role, for six plus years, you know, up to a decade, it's gonna be really hard for me to have a lateral move at this level of leadership in any other area of, the, of this industry, because why? You know, why would Joe down the street hire me to you know, manage their commercial portfolio when it's night and day from residential? So I think I knew that it was time for me to leave, but um, I was actually asked. <laughs> I was actually uh, asked to leave. They they did a huge they did huge layoffs, um, and I was kind of just in the first phase of that. Hold on one second, right there. So that's just a great segue for commercial, right? Uh, just for everybody, you probably already know. I did. I wrote a book, just released it Thanksgiving weekend, and it's called Surviving Layoffs. And you know that's what you know. Noel is talking about. Hey, there's a downside. There's a change. How do you manage through that? How do you take advantage of opportunities? So it's available on Amazon. And it's available on borisprendergrass.com. But just back to you, Noel. Now, I remember during that time, you weren't aware of some of the financial challenges that 
Dixon was having. I think you were aware that, hey, you know, there, there could be uh, a situation where change would come. Would that, would that be accurate? Do I remember that correctly? Yeah, yeah, we were aware. I mean, I did not realize that it was going to come as quickly as it did. And okay. I think, I didn't think it was going to affect me. I didn't think that I was going to be, you know, one of the people let go because I held a really critical role. You know, if you're not, if you're not maintaining the portfolio, if you're not accepting rent, you're not making money. So I think in hindsight, I was, it wasn't smart for me to have that kind of, you know, thinking to think that, you know, I wouldn't sure. necessarily, that I was untouchable. Um, but what it did do in it, you know, in me getting let go is it allowed me to one really hone on like selling myself. Right. I probably went through over 10, 15 interview kind of processes. Um, and the three months that I didn't work, it gave me an opportunity to really look at different avenues of this industry where could I go? Where could I market myself to go? Where could I use everything that I've learned and transition it into a different space, but still be able to leverage my experience? So it, it, it actually ended up being like a time that I really like learned how to sell myself, which I hadn't had to do before. Like, as you kind of heard, all these other positions I just fell into. They were positions that I interviewed for and immediately got offers. I spent three months really having to sell myself. And I'm actually, I, I turned down positions as well. I turned down positions that I didn't think that were a right fit for me, that Great. I didn't think, you know, would be something that I saw as a contribution to my entire career two, three, two, three years down the road. Um, but when I came upon Sonder, the thing that really pushed me to go for Sonder. And the same thing that pushed me to go for Dixon, and I can even say Wells, is that it was something completely different and it was gonna be something that forced me to gain a whole new skill set, which I think is really, really important. Like, especially for people of my age, like we are known to move careers a lot um, quicker than maybe the generation before us. Working somewhere for six years is like, that's laughable for a lot of people <laughs> in my age group. They're like, why would I mean, you- that's a long time? That's a long time. Like, why would you have stayed somewhere for six years? It doesn't make you marketable. It doesn't make you fresh. I mean, on every interview that I went on, the question that I really had to, like, find a valid answer for was, well, if you stayed there so long, why are you leaving? So it almost kind of, like, you know, put me in this box that was, like, it was, like, catch-22. Like, okay, well, so you, you showed this loyalty to this company for six years, but it doesn't make you marketable, you know, to the guy who's been in three, three different roles and progressed through, you know, three different kind of like transitions that taught him how to do all these different things that maybe necessarily my role didn't. So when I, when I landed the role at Sonder, um, and it was a, it was also a really competitive interview process. I don't know if you remember this, but Alex probably remembers this, my sister. Um, I had to do a challenge that took me 10 plus hours to do like I felt like I was back in college like I had to you know prove was it you had to do a number crunch or something like that it, it was a project plan I mean, or something like that number crunch it was more than a number crunch it was an analysis it was you know create an entire kind of like project plan for how you would run this department how do you look at staffing which that was a really great experience for me too because I had heard about other people really being tested on their abilities right. And this was the first time that I had to go through that. Um, and I've been here now for about a year and a half. And 
I think I can say that this has probably been the best work experience um, of my life. Like Sonder is also, I mean, we like to call ourselves, um, we like to call ourselves, uh, I'm forgetting the word, but um, we, we like to call ourselves a tech company. We're, we're moving away from that. But I think in what learning at a tech, com tech company is that they, they really force you to be an analyst in every role. They force you to look at a problem and not only solve that problem, but think about the five other problems that can result from it and solve those two. So it's really kind of like forced me to change the way that I think, change the way that I work, to be more innovative. Um, and again, it's like a really fun experience because I'm always kind of trying to land at places that are doing something different that can level up my skill set for the next role. So I, I really love what I'm doing. I think if I think if someone were to ask me today if I think I'm successful, I would probably say no, which I think is probably just own. Well, kind that's of just like, another that's another conversation of what does success yeah, means, of, or, of is it, or is it or is it you have more goals ahead of you that you want to accomplish. Right. right. Um, the success is, is something different for everybody, but I definitely am extremely grateful um, for where I am and how kind of my path, which is a really weird winding one, um, and, and mostly by God's grace and his favor has, has led me to where I am now. So just a couple of questions as, as we wrap up, right? One, you are a head of a group, so I guess, you lead an organization. How big is that organization? You know, size, so, people? Or... I don't know if I, we, we wouldn't call it an organization. We would call it a department. Um, the sure. current portfolio that we have is standing 600 units in the next 60 days will double um, to about over a thousand. But in square footage, that is equivalent probably to over a hundred thousand square foot of, okay. of space that I manage, which is a pretty large portfolio. Um, I currently have a team of eight and that team will also probably double in the next 60 to 90 days with every property that we take on. We usually add anywhere from two to three staff members. Um, and so yeah. I stopped there to say, you know, success is different for every people, but there's been a level of success to be able to lead an organization and be responsible for a portfolio that big. You know, that's, that's definitely a level of success and accomplishment. I guess the next thing I would say and ask for you as we're wrapping up is, you know, talking to millennials, what would be your feedback as you want to encourage them to have dreams, reach their dreams, their goals? What would you share as, a, I guess, a, you know, feedback to them, skill set, motivation? What would that be? Yeah, I mean, I think one of my biggest things, and I would be, I would be, um, stealing this from someone else. Uh, in my 20s, I listened to a woman called Malik Teal. She is the founder of Curlbox. Um, but in listening to her podcast, and she does this thing where she sells these journals, and it's a lot of like prompts of self-work, is that nothing replaces hard work. Um, I think for me, in like switching careers very vastly, it's it's just testament that you can do whatever you want to do and whether you are innately good at that thing you can become really good at it and people in places who can bring you to where you want to be to achieve success to achieve your dream to achieve your goals whatever they may be are not going to not notice hard work, right? Like the hard work doesn't go unnoticed, <laughs> like, and there isn't a replacement for it. Like obviously 
we're a generation that's, I mean, super innovative. Like uh, we, there are people who have created things that have literally changed our world, but yeah, but there's teams underneath them who are working really, really, really hard <laughs> to bring those dreams to fruition. Um, and then those people, when they leave them, go on to be CEOs and COOs and heads of and entrepreneurs. So I just don't think that, you know, we can be so caught up in like this age of, you know, what happened overnight and seeing people's successes in, in only one lens that you forget that hard work can literally get you anything that you want. Well, Noah, I just want to say thank you for sharing your journey with our Path to Success audience. Thank you again, Path to Success audience. Thank you for joining with us. Noel, you have a great day. Bye. <laughs>